0: Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today as we always do by stating that the goal of this series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. This is our 20th podcast. And its release coincides with the naming of Beth Hauck as the CEO of SonarMD. We therefore thought it would be a great idea to utilize this podcast as an opportunity for us to introduce Beth to our listeners and also for her to share with us her vision of value-based care, and how she intends to steer SonarMD through the maze that value-based care has created. Beth has been an entrepreneurial leader in healthcare technology for over 20 years, and she's developed a keen insight into the customer experience. She's been part of the building process of multiple products and companies from scratch and has driven a strong cross-team collaboration with engaging leadership. I've known Beth for many years, dating back to her days at Patient Impact, where she helped our medical practice craft a patient experience platform for one of our endoscopy centers. For the last three years, though, she's been our COO here at SonarMD. During her tenure as COO, she has been instrumental in growing SonarMD from a one-state solution to one that has now expanded across the country. I think you will all enjoy this interview and learn a lot from her. Welcome to the show, Beth.
1: (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: We're honored, we're honored. Let's start the interview by talking about you. Am I correct that your core strength is your ability to establish and maintain relationships? Is that what makes you tick?
1: Yes, uh, maintaining relationships is definitely one of my core strengths. I, I kind of like to think that um, my core strength is actually sometimes what I would call bionic hearing. So. I really, really love to listen and hear what people are saying, and I think that really leads to having really rewarding relationships with them. To me, it's to me, it's all about really getting to know people. I'm just authentically curious about them. I love I love learning about people's stories.
0: I'm going to use that term, bionic hearing. That's, <laughs> that's an interesting. You may borrow it. <laughs> yeah. So you not only are, makes you a good listener, but you actually can figure out what they're thinking in the process of that bionic hearing.
1: Yeah. You know, I think what it, what it does is I like to use the term, it serves as kind of my fuel. So if, if I, if I'm talking to somebody and they're telling me about their problem or their, you know, um, issue you know, in, in the work setting, it it kind of serves as fuel to my curiosity and uh, idea engine. So it's it's something, so learning about what isn't working is usually something that helps me come up with new ideas.
0: So has this molded and shaped your career in any way?
1: I like to think so. When I started in the startup world, you know, at, at Patient Impact, where I was the first employee, I learned that you could incrementally innovate by just simply listening. You know, so I think to, to some extent, I realized that it was the key to solving a lot of problems. And so in that way, it has molded and shaped my career because I then chose to always find the next challenge based on something that was a big problem.
0: And, and where did you go after patient impact?
1: I worked for a company called SA Ignite. Um, I again joined as the first employee pre-revenue and actually pre-product. So we went out in the market and tried to figure out uh, what was a huge pain point related to the, what was then the meaningful use program and is now the MIPS program. And what we learned was that nobody knew how to really navigate it, um, how to collect the information and how to then streamline getting that information to the government in the right way. So we took that problem and we made a a product solution out of it, uh, grew it, and eventually sold the business uh, nine years later to SPH Analytics.
0: A successful exit. Those are always good. I think you were number three at Sonar? I
1: don't know. Three, four. (laughs) I wasn't first, Which so this is a change for me.
0: (laughs) Well, looking at your core strengths, how will this affect your future strategy for Sonar MD as our CEO?
1: You know, I think I think there's two ways. So one is the future strategy and success of Sonar is in the hands of me partially, but it's certainly in the hands of the team. So what I do is I try to work to inspire the entire team to be just as curious, um, to try to put themselves into the shoes of. The customers, so be that the payer or the providers we work with, or the members. Um, and then by doing that, really, really listen to those different stakeholders' problems so that we can come up with ways to solve them. So that that's one way um, it will impact the the future of Sonar. The second is, is maybe more of an externally facing one, which is, you know, throughout my longer career, um, I've learned that you know you you start when you're young and you think you're supposed to know everything but now i know i'm not supposed to know everything and that the that it's even better to just know other smart people so maintaining tons of relationships tons of relationships with smart diverse people within the healthcare industry is going to help me make better decisions and help me solve some of the tricky problems that we're going to have
0: i've always said the most valuable assets we have are our relationships. Um, they will help us get to the next stage of everything. Beth, you have managed to maintain the relationships, as you said, inside and externally to the corporation. I think everybody inside really values your ability to hold things together and to move things forward. And you've got some big challenges out there with the space that we work in, and I'd like to move to our providers. Yeah. I can see from my work with you that you naturally align with the provider. Am I correct in that?
1: You, you really are. Yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons for it, but I absolutely naturally align with the provider's situation that they're in, you know, um, as as the key person to be delivering care yet in a funny spot in the healthcare ecosystem, beholden to the payers um, and kind of the structure of the system that makes it hard sometimes to do all the right things by the patients.
0: Well, the patient, the patient is number one and we always have to maintain that, that allegiance. How is, how has this uh, provider bias helped you in the past?
1: You know, I think I think when I again, you know, first started um, down this entrepreneurial journey, one of the many reasons I aligned with the the providers is that they're kind of small business owners, or maybe not so small, but they're business owners in their in in themselves. You know, they're entrepreneurs, and so they're looking for ways um, to. Make sure that they obviously earn a revenue um, and maintain that revenue so that they can continue to employ their their deep staff that help take care of of those patients. Um, But it's even also in their thinking. They they the providers tended to be um, innovative to talk to and uh, a little entrepreneurial in their thinking about trying out new things. So I think. For those reasons, um, it's really helped me in the past kind of see what they have to offer and then be able to bring that to the table to the payers or the integrated delivery networks, which are more the bigger entities that sometimes don't hear the provider voice.
0: A lot of people probably don't realize how much of an investment and entrepreneurial spirit is required for some of these medical practices to survive and thrive. When we built that endoscopy center, we had invested just about every penny we had into getting that to its completion. Uh, it was a multi-year project. And so here we are, it's, it's open. And now we've got to make sure that we can bind with the patients and you brought us very significant help in the patient experience when we engaged you uh, with that endoscopy center. And so this core strength of yours goes back a long way and it's, it's, definitely been there as long as I've known you. So how do you think this strength is going to help Sonar MD? Well
1: I think one of the unique parts of our model is our really deep relationship with the provider practices. We can't We can't successfully manage the patients that the payer puts us responsible for without a really collaborative uh, back and forth relationship with the practices that we are also aligned with. So I think that has certainly given us credibility when we're talking to them and talking about what their role is going to be in managing the patient population that we do. But it also is core to us managing the patients better and therefore saving the entire system money.
0: Definitely. You're engaged with all of the practices. You're tightly involved uh, with our provider base. You're also very involved with our, our payer base. You've been in this as long as I have.
1: Mm -hmm. Where do
0: you think we are in the transition to value-based care?
1: I think those of us that are quote doing value-based care think that we're further along. So I think as a industry, like, or say as a country, we think we're further along in this concept of value-based care when in fact, we're still really pretty early on in really, really transitioning to pushing models out there that are pay for value. I don't think that the reason that we're not further is because there's too few people that think it's a good idea. I think there's lots of people that think it's a great idea. I think there's lots of momentum towards, yes, let's get paid for doing the right thing. The problem is, we just we're coming off of decades of a fee-for-service payer system that is hard to change. Um, I, I think payers that we talk to, they they all they want to move too, um, and they're they're working to to try to implement these types of programs and and do different versions of them in order to have quick successes that can then be built on and, and be a little bit more robust but they're, they're saddled with the existing infrastructure and systems that they have. And I think that that makes it very hard to transition as a country to value-based care quickly. Um, I actually think that Medicare and the CMMI, the innovation center that was spun up under the Obama administration, I do think that that has has had some impact on moving some of the Medicare population to some innovative value models. I think the Medicare Advantage program is a program that, again, puts people closer towards some of those value models, but we still have a ways to go.
0: You know, I've often thought about this as a jigsaw puzzle. When you have a large jigsaw puzzle to put together, the first thing you do is you work your edges and your corners and you try to work your way in. And in value-based care strategies today, it seems like we're all finding a certain segment of the puzzle that we think we have a solution for. And hopefully all these little pieces will continue to be put in place uh, and come together, but it's, it's going to take a while. You know, you mentioned the payers and the plans. We've talked about the providers. How do you think the patients look upon value-based care?
1: Yeah. I, I love your, I love your visual of the puzzle and working the at outer edges first. I, I think that's now see, just like you're going to use something of mine. I'm going to use this one. Of yours <laughs> It's, uh, it's a good one because it is true. We're kind of working around the edges and we're finding our way to the middle. And then just to kind of keep, keep further it even more is, I do think we're, we're at that point in those puzzles where you can't get things to line up and you don't know why they don't. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, think, I think all of that is happening as, as we try to, to crack this. I, I think patients, um, to answer that question, really kind of love it and from what I, and, and this, is, this is Beth with her, you know, sonar hat on, you know, I mean, our, our patients are, are like, wait a minute, you're going to take, you're going to watch me when I'm outside of my physician office and then alert my physician as to when my symptoms are deteriorating, because that's just going to be better care for me yes sign me up you know they they the, they don't necessarily probably call it value based care there what they're saying is oh good you're taking care of me as a whole person as a whole patient and you're doing things to prevent something bad from happening as opposed to providing sick care and i think all patients all people out there in the world we all we that's what we want we want somebody to be have their pulse on us so that we can keep from having something more significant happen that could be prevented. And I think from that perspective, all patients and all people out there really, I think, can embrace this.
0: So we've both agreed that the providers are interested in value-based care. The the patients are interested in value-based care. The plans it's in their financial best interest to Um, have everything moved to value-based care, what's it going to take to move this process forward?
1: Wow. Uh, Do you have an answer for that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm the one asking. (laughs) So I I think it's, I think it's going to take a lot of creativity. Okay. So, so I think, um, I think we, have some real, real nice alignment right now that is really different than what, say, some of the other value-based care type things that are going on in the market right now have. And that is our alignment with the providers. So because we have that unique alignment where a patient is not giving up their relationship with their doctor we're reaching out on behalf of the doctor so the patient isn't getting something from their plan or from some third party that they don't understand or know. Um, because we're doing that, I think that I think that is one, one way that we're going to be able to move the process forward faster and more effectively than some of the other models that are out there. Now having said that this it in order for us to do that successfully that does require the partnership of the payers and we do need to be creative about and and meet the payers where they are I'm it's not disparaging the payer to say hey you know I you you can't implement this because you have an old system it's the reality they they those old systems they have to process a lot of claims they need those old systems in place because that is still the the program that we're you know most of us are still living under so our job is to meet them halfway and find ways to um structure our agreements so that they can more easily implement them so i think that is one of the things that we're going to have to do to move the process forward
0: yep all these little jigsaw pieces are going to have to find other jigsaw pieces that match their needs and the markets the, the 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 industry is probably going to do it. Um, It's going to take time though, but I agree with you completely. So the the critical thing that we have on our side is that we're bringing providers and patients more together rather than, rather than uh, disintermediating them. That's, that's the strength of SONAR.
1: That, That really is.
0: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Beth Halk, the CEO of Sonar MD. Beth, let's let's spend the rest of the time of this podcast talking specifically about Sonar. We've alluded to it uh, in the previous questions, but let's focus more on it right now. What's been your biggest success to date in Sonar, in your opinion?
1: Wow. Um, so I'm gonna. I- I'm never going to answer a question with just one way to answer. I'm going to come up with two ways to answer this. <laughs> so i i'm I'm consistent with some of the things that I said earlier in the podcast. I really want to say that the biggest success to date has been building a fantastic team. We have an incredible tech team. we have We have incredibly motivated, creative and driven care coordination teams and um, engagement teams. So we have really foundationally some excellent, excellent people that are helping to implement and and really expand as fast as we can add payers and providers into the system. So so I, I think that's a huge success. It's not easy always to build a cohesive, fantastic team and, and that that I would say is foundational. From the payer perspective, though, um, I would I would say that our biggest success to date, and it's going to sound really simple, but I think it's really our first contract. So when we got that first contract, um, if you think about it, somebody somebody, and I learned this in all my startups, somebody has to take a chance on you. Somebody has to say. Say you know what we we believe in the history and this takes nothing away from from all the things you did, Larry, on what we called Sonar 1.0. But somebody had to take a chance on us and say, "Yep, we we believe all of that work that was done, and we're going to take a risk on you and sign up sign you up for a payer contract in a a new model, in a brand new model that has never been done by somebody else." And so being able to both Convince them that we can indeed be successful, but also work with them closely enough to, again, back to my other point about meeting a payer halfway, find a way to work with them um, within the constraints that they have and that we have and that we're still learning um, has been the biggest success that we have.
0: So on the other side, what's been your biggest challenge? What Mm -hmm. keeps you up at night? (laughs)
1: Well, um, I, I, hate, I hate to feel like I'm repeating myself, but, um, the biggest challenge has been trying to meet those payers halfway. Um, it's, it's difficult to, it's difficult for these large, you know, fully entrenched systems to get data across over to us. It's hard for those big entrenched systems to, really just figure out how to structure a program. That's fair. Um, we, we even talk to, and, and, and everybody wants it to be fair, but it's, it, it, it means that they're having to think about, well, what's, what are they doing with other members? Right? So if you have a member that has inflammatory bowel disease and they have diabetes and we have a diabetes program and an IBD program. What do we do? Like, how do we not double pay? So so all of those kinds of, the, and again, this is the puzzle piece, right? Like trying to fit those puzzles together is really still our biggest challenge and, and probably will continue to be for a period of time until, um, until more of the system more broadly changes. And then I think that you'll see that unlocked and you'll see a whole ton of inno- innovation in the market.
0: Another analogy that is apropos to this we're a tugboat trying to steer a container ship through the Panama Canal so it can get to its target. <laughs> <laughs> we're, that, we're that little tugboat, you know, moving moving that big ship. So it, that, it does create challenges.
1: Well, thankfully, we're not the big ship that gets stuck either. You know, The <laughs> fact right. that we're the tugboat allows us to be a little more nimble.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. So. Where do you let's let's let Beth rub her crystal ball.
1: Mm -hmm. Where where do
0: you see sonar going in the future? What's your vision?
1: So I think there's sometimes it's overwhelming in a good way to think of all the ways that we can take the core, both strong teams, strong technology, and core infrastructure and concepts that we've built and all the places we can go with it. So, so sometimes maybe that I I should have said, that's what keeps me up at night is like too many opportunities. It's it's too overwhelming. Um, But what I think, I I think what I see in the future for us is a few things. Um, One is we are, we have tapped into an incredible engagement model with our patients. So when we, when we work with a practice, um, our engagement rates are somewhere around 80% of the population that the payer has, has put in front of us, um, we are engaging. So with that, that allows us to develop this very strong longitudinal relationship with a patient and gather patient-reported outcomes from them that tells us all kinds of things. And hopefully, you know, if, if we're doing our job right, tells us when a patient is deteriorating. That concept is in place for inflammatory bowel disease right now, and that's working for us and working with the payers that we are working with. Um, But there's no reason why we can't take that incredible uh, model of high engagement with a specialist using patient-reported outcomes to, again, recognize deterioration and therefore better take care of the patient, keeping them out of high-cost settings. So I think that's one thing that I do see us uh, doing in the future. Um, I think that there are other innovations happening that are very complementary to what we do as well. So I think there are devices being created that that provide for better remote monitoring. I think there are mental health startups that can provide for the behavioral health component that we know many of our patients suffer from and, and, and can impact the overall cost of care. There are companies helping with diet and nutrition that could also, again, by successfully integrating those um, potentially further reduce cost of care and allow us to take care of more diseases. So all of those types of complementary companies um, innovations I I do think might also play a role in Sonar in the future.
0: Well, that, that fits right under the crosshairs of your strength. So bringing staff together, bringing customers together, you're also planning on bringing companies together with their, their specific ideas and technologies to build a bigger solution. I like it. I like, I, like your, I like your vision. Well, Beth, thank you very much for agreeing to come on today. I, I, I enjoyed it. I think you had an opportunity to tell the listeners your, your vision of the future, and, and hopefully we can, we can help you get it to where it has to be.
1: Larry, thank you so much for having me on. It was enjoyable. I feel um, like it was a fun conversation. And I, of course, am going to continue to enjoy working with you to bring Sonar to the next level.
0: Well, thank you, Beth. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Finally... Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.